Thank you so much for tuning in to this message from New Life Church. Stay tuned because what you'll hear this morning is guaranteed to help you know Jesus better. Um, but man, we have got some, we're kicking off a new series this morning and we are really, really excited about this series. Uh, it's our fall series where what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the book of Philippians. And uh, we thought as we dove in this, like, to this series, it's always good to understand, like, the origins of something before you, like, it just helps you better understand what's going on. And the book of Philippians, it's a great book, and, and, and we'll, we'll start in verse 1 next week. Um, it's, it takes a unique tone, though, with, compared to other books. And I think to understand where Paul is really coming from as he writes the book, it, it would be good for us to, to look at the beginnings of the church at Philippi. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, is we're going to look at how the church at Philippi got started, and we'll do that in Acts chapter 8. And so it's a, it's a long start, but I promise you that we're going to cover a lot of scripture, but here's my guarantee, is that next week I'm only going to do two verses, so we'll be like, good, we'll be out of here in like 10 minutes. No, I'm just kidding, we won't be out of here in 10 minutes, it'll be, it'll be at least 35, but I, you got to get your money's worth. But, um, but so we're going to we're going to look here, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, and we're just going to walk through it a few verses at a time and kind of look at different details of the story. So if you've got a Bible, we'll be in Acts chapter 16, and we'll start in verse 11, and uh, it goes like this. It says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which was a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. Now, you notice this is we, which is interesting. Uh, Luke wrote the book of Acts. And, and really, up until this point, you, you see they, them language. But then here it shifts to we. And the reason why it does is because Luke is with them on this journey. So it's really interesting because it's, it's even more trustworthy because Luke was there while this stuff happened. And so he's just, he's kind of, he's saying that in the, the, the pronouns, that he, or I guess the adverbs or whatever he's using. I don't know what form of speech it is. You can tell me after service. <laughs> and on the Sabbath day, we went out to the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. Anyone sell purple goods? No, no, me either who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So as we kind of start here, what we see is we see the setting of, of Philippi. And we also just kind of see how the church started. Um, and I would just say a couple things about Philippi. First, I'll just throw, up, I'll throw it up on a map there. You can kind of see where it is in relation to some other places. You've got Corinth, Corinth down there. You've got Athens, Thessalonica, some biblical places. And, and really, it's, it's, Philippi is located kind of close to modern-day Greece. Uh, but what's important for our context is, is what Philippi is. And the way, Paul ta- or the way it's talked about here in the book of Acts is it's talked about as a leading Roman city. 
It's actually, Philippi is a very important Roman city, and the reason why it was is because several decades before Paul ever went there, Several decades before Paul ever wrote the letter to the church there, uh, there was a man named Mark Anthony. Not the guy who married J-Lo, though it looks and sounds similar. It's, that's Anthony. This is Antony. And, and he fought at Philippi and won a decisive victory in the Second Rome, Roman Civil War. And because of that victory, basically what happened was Philippi became a really important city because of its place in that. And so the, what they did is they let Philippi answer directly to the empire, or emperor. And not only that, but all citizens in Philippi were exempt from paying taxes. Like, that sounds all right. And, and, and also, it was a place where they would encourage Roman soldiers to retire. So they kind of had a little bit of a Florida feel there. And so it's a really important, prominent city. Paul goes there on, on this missionary journey. But what's interesting about it is that the context of what Paul is doing at Philippi is very unique when you look at the way that Paul had been doing ministry up until this point. That up until this point, what Paul would do is he would go into a synagogue and he would, he would wait for his turn to speak. <clears throat> and when it became his turn to speak, he would, he would proclaim to the synagogue basically using the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah who had come. Now here he is in Philippi, and Philippi is not a Jewish colony. It's not a Jewish city. But Philippi is, is very Roman. And not only is it very Roman, but you see here in the text that, that, that the Jewish influence in Philippi is very small. But the rule was then that if you couldn't come up with 10 men heads of households, you could not form a synagogue. The bare minimum for a synagogue would be 10 men heads of households. And if you couldn't, if you couldn't form a synagogue, what you would do is you would have to go find some water somewhere. And you would go find water somewhere and you would gather and you would pray and read the scriptures. That we know that there is such a small Jewish influence in Philippi that they can't even form a synagogue. And so what they have here is they have this, on the Sabbath day, a group, basically a women's Bible study by the river, which sounds kind of nice if you ask me, but it's like by the river where they just, they gather and they pray. And they study the scriptures together. And what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to find a group of people who would be open to his message. And so what he does is on the Sabbath, he goes into Philippi and he finds some water. And as he finds water, he finds people who are having this study. And as he finds this group, they're having this Bible study. When his turn comes, he tells them about Jesus. He tells them how, how Jesus is the fulfillment of what they have been studying. And he's, he's persuasive, he's anointed. And because of that, a woman named Lydia puts her faith in Jesus. And, and, and it says there she's a seller of purple goods, which is such a weird, like, like job. And Matt Chandler, in his, in his book on, the, on Philippians, he says that really you should think of her in terms of like, she's like a wealthy fashionista. So think like devil wears Prada, like that kind of thing. And she was, she, and she was, she was wealthy. Like she had a household. You kind of get the impression here that, that, she, that her home was very large, almost like a complex that she would travel from time to time and, 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 and you know, deal these purple, purple goods. And, 
and she, she's the first person in Europe that puts their faith in Jesus. Which is really interesting if you think about how the gospel like grew in Europe. It started, it all started with Lydia. And what I find particularly interesting is that, okay, so she puts her faith in Jesus, and what is the next thing that she does? Well, they're by water. So she goes and gets baptized. And, re- and we're going to see this happen again later on in the text, but this is how we build our theology on baptism. That you see someone, they put their faith in Jesus, and, is they, and, and their response to putting their faith in Jesus is one where they say, okay, well, since I did this, the next thing for me to do is to be baptized. And she's baptized, and her whole household's baptized with her. And thus begins the Christian church at Philippi. Now, as you think of Lydia, she's a wealthy fashionista. And then as the church continues to grow and expand, I just say, like, they start reaching a different market. Look at, look at this here. It says, as they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned to the Spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And this is the next person to put their faith. Like it's, and it's, it's like what I think, my, like my first thought of that is like, what a strange way to exercise a demon, right? Like you have this imagine in your head, like you kind of imagine like holy water and like a pure heart. And it's like, like Luke's like, I was there. Paul's heart wasn't pure. He did it because he was annoyed. <laughs> And so you, you, like, you have this thing, and it, it makes, it, honestly, it makes me feel better about all the times that like, I've done things that were maybe the right thing, but I did it because I was annoyed. I have a word for that. It's parenting, you know, but like, like I, and it's, but he, he does it. Like he, he's annoyed. He, he exercises this demon. That's, that's kind of how it starts. But, but to get a picture of this, like, this, this girl, it's a really like sad situation if you think about it. But here you have this girl who is being exploited by her, her owners, not because they care about her, not because she's not a partner in this fortune-telling endeavor, but, but all they're doing is they found this girl who has this gift, and, and they've discovered a way they can make money. And so that's what they do. They run her around like a sideshow, and people pay them for what she does. There's no heart. There's no care. This, like, it, it's as sad of a story as there is. And, and, and then you have that she, just somehow, like somehow she, she hears that Paul and his crew are going to this river. And she goes. And what I think is so interesting is this message that's being proclaimed at this river is a message that's being communicated by a demon. And the message is, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. The thing I find so interesting is the message that the demon is proclaiming. 
is absolutely true. Like, it's true. The men are servants of the Most High God. They, they are proclaiming the way of salvation. Lydia had just experienced the way of salvation through the message that these men have been proclaiming. And just even thinking of it from just a strictly like marketing perspective. I mean, Paul could do to this girl the same thing that her owners were doing. This girl can fortune tell, help me draw a crowd. But he doesn't. He casts the demon out. And because he does, what comes next is, for Paul, is, is really difficult. Look at this. It says, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us, uh, us as Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave, them order, and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. It just shows how wicked this girl's owners were. Like, there's no thought of, like, maybe this is a better life for her. Maybe it's a good thing that she's no longer being oppressed by this demon. Maybe she has other career opportunities now. But instead, they, they see, they're like, well, great. Now I can't make money on her anymore. And because they cannot, like it just shows like the power and the grip that money has on people, okay? Th th their thought is, well, now that I can't, I'm going to make it miserable for Paul. And, and it's funny because if you look at the message that they say to the magistrates, it, it has nothing to do with the fact that, that they delivered this girl from a demon. It has everything to do with the message that Paul and Silas are proclaiming. So, so they're mad about one thing, and so now they're going to point out something else. And essentially what they tell the magistrates is what they're doing is assaulting the very fabric of our Roman identity. And they're right. That's, that's true. The, the message of, of, of Rome at the time was one, and we'll kind of see this a little bit as we study the book, but the message of it was, was Caesar is Lord. And the message that Paul and his crew are proclaiming is one that, that's way different. It's that Jesus is Lord. And there's only one. And so what they do is they go to these people who have power, and they're like, hey, just so you know, like, they're saying something that is attacking the very fabric of who we are. And if you don't get this thing under control, like, it's going to overthrow Rome. And so they do what they do. Now, okay, so me personally, like, I'm a big picture guy. Like, I, I, for me to think about details, like, I have to really discipline myself to do it, and even then I still miss them. Like, when I, when I think of this story, probably because it's a long text, my, my immediate thought at this point is, man, that's a bummer there in prison. Like, that's what I, I'm just like, man, that would be a bummer. I'd hate to be in prison. But if you look at it, it 
it's actually way worse than just being in prison. Like, what? yes, they, they, they are in prison at this point. Like, they are, they are sitting there, but, but they're not just in prison. That it says that their, their clothes were torn off their backs and they were beaten with rods. If that happens in Missouri, like, that absolutely makes the news. That this is, this is serious. Like, this is, this is horrible. That you could assume that after they experienced that, that their backs would have been so lacerated that, that they couldn't lean up against a wall without being in, in severe pain. Like, this is, this is what happened before they went to prison. And then it says their feet were put in stocks. Okay, and when I think of stocks, I, I know it says feet, but when I think of stocks, I think of that Silver Dollar City thing, you put your head in, you know what I'm talking about? Like, and it gets a little uncomfortable when the person taking the picture is like five and they can't figure it out. Like, it, it's a little painful, but, but that's, not what he's, that's not what he's talking about. When it says their feet were fastened in stocks, it's talking about these things and they're Roman torture stocks is what they are. That they would clasp them on your feet and it would be on you in such a way that you, you couldn't lie down. And not only could you not lie down, but it positioned your feet in a way that really anything that you would do would inflict pain on your whole body. And in their, they're in the inner cell, and, and the thing is, it's, the stocks aren't there because they're afraid that Paul and Silas are going to escape. They, they put them in stocks because they wanted to torture them. Because they wanted, they wanted them to feel the pain of what happened. They wanted them to question their life decisions. And, and as Paul and Silas are sitting there in this inner cell, like, lacerated back, not being able to lean on anything without pain, feed in stocks that are causing incredible discomfort. Like, they, they, there has to be something inside of them where they're like, am I sure this is something I want to do? Like, am I sure that, like, I, I'm all in on this Jesus thing? I've never been to prison, but I think part of it is, like, you're there to question your life. That if I'm, if I'm Paul, if I'm Silas, like I've got to be thinking, you know, maybe I should be more quiet about this whole like gospel thing. But the crazy thing is like Paul and Silas, they basically do the exact opposite of everything that I just mentioned. Look at what it says they do here in, in verse 25. So it's midnight. This is about Midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Like, there's no... God, why'd you do this to me? There's no... This doesn't seem... I'm being faithful to you and you put me in here? Like, this is the things I get for giving my life to present... No. There is... All it is is, all right, we're going to sing how great thou art. <laughs> all right, we're going we're gonna to pray. And I just think of me, like, that when life doesn't go my way, when I'm experiencing discomfort, like, when, when I'm questioning, like, why is this happening this way? Like, 
usually at least it takes me a couple days to get to that point where I'm trusting God. Like, certainly not like the evening of things catastrophically not going my way do I move to him singing and praying. And yet, that's where they are. And as they're here, doing this, what comes next is just simply, it's miraculous. Look, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. They're probably praying, God, deliver us. God, show yourself to be powerful in this situation. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Like, this would have been a miracle. <laughs> that would have been so crazy for everyone to experience. One, in the fact that it was so undeniable. I, I remember a couple weeks ago, it was probably three weeks ago at 11 o'clock, I was preaching, and um, I was like reading the text, and it was early in the sermon, and I, I said something to the extent of, and the waters came loose, or something, it was like something like that. And as soon as I said it, it started raining. And everyone in the room was like, like, I was like, man, I didn't know I got sound effects today, and it felt really cool for about a minute, but then it rained the rest of the sermon. I had to preach over it raining, and it was horrible. But there was a sense of like, there was a sense of like, man, that was kind of neat. That's kind of, okay. And that was, an, that was a coincidence. Like, that was coincidental. Can you imagine what it would be like if you're like, you got these dudes singing and praising God, and there's an earthquake, and all the, and all the, bon, all, like, all the stocks are loosed? Like, everybody's got to be like, that was something. There's, I've never been part of something like that before. And they're sitting there and they're like in shock. Like everyone's like, this is, this is going on. So you see this like, this miracle, okay? But then there's like this miracle of the human will that happens as well. Like you have all of these prisoners who's, who've been completely unfastened. The doors are open, and what we know from the text is there is one jailer, and what we know from history is he's probably a retired Roman soldier. And he's sitting there in prison, watching these prisoners, and all the doors are open. It's not a good day to be the jailer. But the real miracle is that all the prisoners stay put. Like, no one's like, all right, here we go. But they stay where they are. It's really interesting. This, and... and <laughs> And it explains the jailer's response. Look, it says, he says in verse 27, it says, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open. So he like wasn't good at his job. Like he was sleeping on the job. Like, and he woke and saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped, which is a reasonable thing to assume. But Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Which is, is not what you would expect, but that's what happens. And, and, and as, as this, this is going on, like, you've you got to put yourself in the, the jailer's shoes. Like, of, of course he's thinking about killing himself. Because what do you, like, even the most religious prison warden is not going to respond well to the story of, 
yeah, there were these dudes, they were singing an earthquake from God came and it set them all free. Like he, he knew, he knows like if I, if I don't do this and everybody's gone, it's either I kill myself or he kills me. But here you have Paul who basically by the power of God is able to just restrain everybody and they're like, no, we're just waiting for you to lock us back up. And the guard is obviously like in awe and shock and he does what makes a lot of sense. He says, he brought out Paul and Silas and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's like, okay, this is not real. How do I get what you have? And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them at the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. There's this picture here where he's like, I've experienced something really incredible. Like I've seen, and really a lot of it's grace. Like God showed him grace. And he's like, okay, now that I've experienced this thing, how do I make sure that the people I love experience it too? And this is a question that all of us have to ask ourselves. The gospel isn't meant to be something that we hoard for ourselves. Really, the gospel is something that, that we need to give to as many people as we can. And then the question that this text poses to us is, okay, the people in your life that you come in contact with regularly, do they know that you love Jesus? Do they know that, that he's important to you? Do they know that you have given your life to him? And, and those who are in your circle, maybe who, who, who don't know Jesus, like is there something inside of you that is constantly thinking of ways to introduce them to him? Is there something inside of you that's like, okay, when is the next opportunity that I can have so that they can experience what I have? This jailer, he experiences something profound in Christ. And his, his immediate response is, okay, now I've got to get this to my house. Now I've got to make sure that my family knows about this, that this is really, really important. And so, so he does. He takes them, and what's next is crazy. Like, mind you, this is, like, it's got to be two or three in the morning at this point. This is the middle of the night on the night where the earthquake happened. And Paul proclaims the gospel after they wash his wounds. They put their faith in Jesus, and what do they do? They were baptized at once. Like, think, think of that, okay? There's no, like, ah, I know I should do this, but let's wait till I have a little bit more information. There's no, like, I'm going to think about, let me sit on this for a little bit. I don't know that I'm ready yet. But it, 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 it is. It's like, okay, my faith is in Christ, and now I'm going to do the, 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 the most appropriate response, and that is to get baptized in water. It's so important that they do it in the middle of the night. Like, they don't even wait till morning. And, and this should cause all of us to consider our baptism, okay? And, and our theology on baptism here at New Life, it goes this way, is that baptism follows salvation. 
And so you have to ask yourself, okay, since I put my faith in Jesus, have I been baptized in water? And I think that what's really important, especially like in our context and our setting, is, okay, when, like, when do you consider yourself like to have put your faith in Christ? Because some people, what they do is they hold on to a baptism that maybe happened when they were younger. But the reality is, is that like, they did it because they were younger, not because they loved Jesus. And so like, the, the real moment that they put their faith in Christ, where things were different for them, was maybe 20 years after they had this experience as a kid. And I think if that's your story, like, if that is truly your story, then I think you need to evaluate. I can't tell you what to do. But I think you've got to ask yourself, is this talking about me? Is this something that, that I should probably do? Because as you look at the text, this is what you see. It is that baptism follows salvation. And I can tell you, we didn't know we were going to preach on this text, but we are doing a baptism service next week. And it's really easy to respond. All you got to do is mark a connect card, turn it to hello desk. You can message us on Facebook and grab me outside. You can just go to the hello desk. They'll put your name down. I don't know, but I think it's for you to consider. You got to evaluate where you are. Because we have two examples here in the text of someone meeting Jesus and their immediate response is to put their faith in him by being baptized. So, th- so that's it. Like this is the origin story. And as we walk through the book of Philippians this fall, we're going to see several themes come like come up that are introduced here in the origin story. And I just, I just want to give you maybe a couple of them and some ways that we can apply this this morning. First thing we see here in this text is we see that we need to seek out great friendships. This is a story about friendship. I think about it, like, this is Paul and Silas' first missionary journey together. I mean, and it got so crazy, they both ended up in prison, and then God, like, I mean, like, if that doesn't build a friendship, like, you just aren't meant to be friends. But they're there, like, they're there. And then you think about these relationships that Paul would have formed in the church. I mean, you got, you've got Lydia, and he stayed at her house. You've got this, this jailer who, who, brings, who brings Paul to his home in the middle of the night to, to heal. Like, who, like, a friend does that. And these are relationships where you can keep them, but instead, like, they're great friendships that are formed here. And that's why when we read Philippians, one of the things that you're going to notice is that Paul writes with joy that he loves the people of Philippi. Because as he looks back, what he sees is he sees great friends. And and as, as as a society, one of the things about adults is that we're becoming more and more isolated. Like, and the question for you is, okay, are there people in your life who, who you would say, you know what, they're great friends, they help, me, they help me love Jesus better, they're a group I can go to when I need prayer, they're a group I can go to when, I'm, when I need wisdom. Like, do, do you have that in your life? And if you don't, one of the things we'll see here and we'll also see throughout the book of Philippians is that those are things that, that you really should pursue. This is why connect groups are so important at New Life. Because what they'll do is they'll funnel you into relationships with other people that will help you know Jesus better and also be there for you in the moments where you're struggling. Great friendships do that. Another thing you see here in the text is is you see that 
this desire to, to trust God in the challenges that come. That you see, that to trust God in your challenges that come. Like the, the earthquake miracle is really cool. And, and it's one of those miracles where you're just like, man, that would be really interesting to be part of. But for me, for me, the real miracle is Paul on the night his back was lacerated with his feet in stocks. He wasn't wallowing in self-pity, but he was worshiping God, telling him how great he was. I mean, just think of that. I mean, for me, when, when God doesn't answer one of my prayers, I can become so frustrated. And here, in a short period of time, Paul is celebrating that God is good when it doesn't really look like there's much there. And there's this tendency for us, when life doesn't go our way, to instead of like bringing God in, we, we like to keep him at arm's length because we're just afraid. And, and what we see here is we see, no, you, you, you bring him in. I actually like the way that Paul talks about this in, in Philippians. He, he says this in Philippians chapter, chapter 1, verse 20. Just talking about the difficulties that, 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 that the church of Philippi is facing and that he's faced personally. He says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He's saying, no matter what comes my way, I will worship him, I will celebrate him. And then finally, what we see here, and and not so much here in the text, but we will, is we see a commitment to finish. And we see the commitment to finish in the fact that Paul writes the letter that he writes. That here we are looking at this story, and here's what Paul doesn't do. Is he doesn't say, you guys got it. Interesting church there, but you guys, you'll be fine. You'll figure it out. But no, what we know is we know that Paul, he goes back. He writes a letter. Because he knows that their relationship with God it's meant to be more than just a moment in time, but it's meant to be something that they carry throughout their life. And what I love about Paul is Paul is convinced that it'll happen. Look at this in, in Philippians 1.6. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Notice who's going to bring it to completion. Not them, but it's Jesus. But it's God. So if you're here, like maybe some of you, like your relationship with God has basically like been a roller coaster. It's like you're really in for a little bit, then you kind of move out. Like whatever whatever the case might be, like here's, here's what this book will inspire us to do. It will inspire us to finish. It'll inspire us. We, like, you don't know what the road in front of you has. It could be full of curves and bumps and challenges, but here's what we do know. It is we know that there's one in Christ who is willing to carry us to the end should we be willing to put our trust in him. 
And, and the trust that we can have in him can be so powerful that even when you're sitting in prison because you can't lie down, with a back that has been lacerated, you can trust them because you know that inside of you, you have something far more powerful than whatever could be thrown at you. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we're thankful for all that we have in Christ. We're thankful that we can look to him in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our problems. And God, we come to you this morning as our prayer. God, that we would, that we'd follow the example of this church. That we would have great friendships. I pray, God, that this room would not just be full of people, but God, that it'd be full of people who have people who, who love them, who come around them, who, who help push them into to what God has, what you have for them, I pray. God, I pray for us in this room that there would be this, this trust in you no matter what comes our way. God, you know. I just pray that maybe even as there are some who are facing challenges this morning, God, that they would, they would know your love. They would know that you're with them and that you'd give them what they need to get through whatever they're going through. And for all of us, I pray that we'd finish. I pray that we'd finish, God. That we would believe that he who began a good work will finish it. And God, maybe some of us are in this place where we just feel like we're barely holding on God, I pray that you would remind us that you've got us. And Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, God, I pray by the power of your spirit that they'd put their faith in Jesus, that they would trust him with their lives, and you'd save them. And God, if there's anyone here who's considering baptism, I pray by the power of your spirit that you'd make them aware of what they should do. To God be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in to this message from New Life Church this morning. If you'd like any more information, you can check us out at nlspringfield.com.